Right, welcome along to another episode of the How I Caught the Wrestling Bug podcast. I'm your host, David Lovell. Delighted to say that joining me for this episode is the one and only Mr. Chris Samsa. Chris, how's it going? I'm great, David. How are you? I'm doing really well. Really glad to, to have you on because when I first joined the Fight Game podcast Facebook group, it was right around the time of the, the G1 and mm-hmm. uh, we had so much fun with the uh yeah picking the winners each night for that and of course you were, you were a big part of that and, and sort of collating the information every night so i want to thank you for that because that was that was great fun oh yeah um i think that's a huge driver of engagement for for anything obviously you know it's some low stakes gambling or even just uh an opportunity to see if you can figure out what's going on in the minds of the bookers and in, in regards to pro wrestling so um, we have a really good time with that type of stuff, especially over at the Viking group. So, um, I, uh, I love, I really do like doing it. I like seeing how people think things are going to go too. So some of those things are, are kind of my favorite role in the, in the pro wrestling community. And tell us about sportofprowrestling.com. Oh, sure. So sportofprowrestling.com is my website. Um, so a lot of what I do is statistically based, um, kind of pulling together data and information, you know, both historical and current about, you know, mostly New Japan. I cover uh, AEW, some specialty NXT, WWE type stuff too, over at sportofprowrestling.com. So a lot of what you'll find is kind of database uh, resources that are broken out in a way that's a little bit different than something, say, like Cage Match, where it's strictly just, you know, mostly results and, and some some simple statistics so what i do is i look at kind of the the deeper um nuances of of what goes on in regards to the the data points and and a lot of that is what i do for for new japan too so where that sort of interest in in stats sort of come from do you think um i mean i'm a huge baseball fan so the growth of statistics and sabermetrics in baseball has been really interesting to me and you know i'm a i I've, I've been in and i will talk more about it obviously i've been in and out of being a big pro wrestling fan too and i've always thought it was a, a gap in pro wrestling you know that something that is presented as a sport that isn't necessarily filled very frequently like you know, people talk about records or winning streaks when it when it works for them but um to have kind of a broad stroke or even you know something that you can really drill down and, and kind of have statistics to help tell a story um, and help connect people who might be new to a product um, really so that's my approach in with new Japan is like to help connect people who are new to the product give them something familiar like a statistic time in the ring or you know faster wins and slower losses and 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 things like that and, and it, it it actually brings out you know some of the more impressive data points in regards to like the athleticism the true life real athleticism that these guys um can display so um but yeah i mean really it it, it stems back to seeing that there was a kind of a gap in the product and then you know kevin kelly and the, and the gang at, at new japan you know i've connected with them to um, help them fill that gap, and I think it's it's mostly successful. And people people seem to either like it or ignore it. Um, I don't know that anyone necessarily um, dislikes it, which is kind of a nice place to be in the in the pro wrestling world, considering um, how volatile it can be. 
I'm assuming you're a fan of what they're doing with AEW in, in terms of the sort of ranking system. Are you a fan I of am. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's great. I think that I think they could do more with it, but I I recognize that they they their product is really fast paced, so they don't have a lot of time to explain the stories. Um, and I think that's to their credit and to their detriment, right? So I think that just the fact that it exists is awesome. I think that there's a lot that they could um, leverage if they came to, a, I guess, a softer spot in their in their product as the, if they were building a new talent. Um, but I think that the the rankings are largely aligned with like how I would how I would look at them. I, you know, I, I think that for a long time there, they were looking more about who you beat versus how many. And now they, they've really simplified it down to really, if like, like look at a team of the tag team, like the varsity blondes, they had this huge winning streak and all of a sudden they were at the top and they, they didn't beat anyone notable. So that those types of things are where you can see that they're using it just as a, a story device. But I think that it's great that that story device exists, and they can do a lot with it. They have good people there that want to do more with it, too. Um, and I think people who have taken a peek at what I do, and I, you know, I don't know that they would ever have the time to do like what Kevin Kelly or Gino does, where at, during an entrance they've got kind of a script that they can talk about to set up this match, because this might be a match that people tune in for or fly in for. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily how AEW approaches their product, though. So, of course, this podcast is all about finding out how you became a fan in the first place and how your fandom has evolved over the years. So the first question I sort of put to everyone is, what's your earliest memory of wrestling? Yeah, so I had to think about this one because I don't have a like a moment where I was like, what is this? This is pro wrestling. Like I hear on some of the other, the other, you know, guests that you have on the show. My first memory of pro wrestling is, is probably when I was about 12 or 13 years old. And I had a friend, his name's Tony. And he, he all of a sudden liked pro wrestling. And I was like, what is this? Like, what are these? And it was really, truly is the action figures. I was like, what are these? Who are these people? And he, you know, explained it to me, and then we started watching wrestling together. And that was Attitude Era time, maybe a little pre-Attitude Era, 96, 97. Um, and so that's my first, like, that was my introduction to pro wrestling. And, I, you know, I feel like that's a little bit later in life than, than, than a lot of people, but that was really, obviously, right at the beginning of a, of a big boom period. So um, it turned out to be a good time to step into it. So how old were you at the time? Uh, probably, I would say I was 12. Yeah, right. it, was, it was my, you know, my late, yeah, yeah, I just turned, the, turned to the double digits at that point. Because the next question is, which wrestlers captured your imagination as a kid, assuming that you were a kid when you started watching it, of course. Sure. So, so who, who were some of the guys that you sort of gravitated towards when you first got into it? So I really liked Shawn Michaels. Um, he was my he was my favorite guy, but he like disappeared shortly thereafter. He had you know he had his run with um, with Stone Cold leading up to WrestleMania what 14, and then he kind of at least pulled back and wasn't wrestling nearly as much. So he was my he was my favorite guy. I really wanted him to you know continue on. Um, 
other than that, I mean, that whole time frame, like, you got the NWO building itself up, and we've got Stone Cold Steve Austin coming into prominence, Degeneration X, and, you know, I was a, you know, I was a teenager, and I was watching South Park, you know, if I wasn't watching wrestling, so, like, all of that type of stuff at that time was really appealing to me, so, yeah, I would, I, you know, hard to say exactly who, but, you know, DX, Stone Cold, Shawn Michaels, that was really, those were my bigger guys, and then I, I was one of those guys that paid attention to WCW too, but I really liked the cruiserweight, so it was like, at the time it was Chris Jericho and Eddie Guerrero, and, um, you know, those, that first couple of matches of Nitro at each night. So what was the first live event that you would have attended? So this is fun. My first live event that I attended was ECW. Um, ECW came to Chicago. They did the Aragon Ballroom. And it was, you know, I guess more economical to go see ECW than it was to see WCW or WWF. So I asked my dad if he would take me and my friend Tony to see ECW. He had, my dad had no idea what he was getting himself into. <laughs> um, and and I, I, to be perfectly honest, I don't know that I did either. Um, but, yeah, so it was at the Aragon Ballroom. It was a ECW Hardcore TV and ECW on TNN taping. So it was, it was kind of in that period, time period where ECW had um, na- a little bit more national exposure. But I really liked ECW because part of what was always appealing for me about pro wrestling was kind of the thrill of the chase and like finding this stuff right and like even if it's outside of the WWF or WCW realm like finding this different pro wrestling and and getting into that and like feeling really proud that I was able to like snag a tape from the Lion Video which was the place that carried all the pro wrestling tapes and it was this little tiny video shop and you know so I you know I I rented an ECW pay-per-view and I was like just fascinated by it and then I found out that ECW was on at midnight on Friday nights on WCIU and I would set my VCR to tape it because I was never awake at that time you know even as a, a 12 and 13 year old and then I got really fascinated by it but I I was not ready for what a live ECW show was going to be like especially having never been to any pro wrestling show um and it was it was it was I guess kind of tamed by ECW standards. Like I don't think anything was lit on fire or nobody jumped off the, you know, the roof or anything, but it was, it was pretty wild to, for that to be my first experience. And I was definitely one of the youngest people there. So what was your dad's reaction to it all? You know, I think he thought it was really <laughs> cool. Um, my dad, he's a, he's an alright guy. And at that time he was taking us to like concerts, like a lot of concerts. And I was, uh, I grew up really into punk rock and pop punk. So like, my dad was kind of used to being around, I guess, being uncomfortable in, in situations <laughs> like that, where he's up in the balcony and I'm in a mosh pit or whatever as a, you know, as a, as a young teen. Um, I think he might have been a little taken back by some of the chants and things of the sort, but I don't know. I've never, I've never really asked him, and I don't know that he would even remember it in, at scale of some of the, the concerts and stuff that we saw, but... Um, you know, I remember leaving, and he was kind of like, we're never coming to anything like this again. And then I had to convince him to take me to, you know, when WWF came to town, I was like, this is the one that's on TV that we watched together. Because, um, you know, my dad my dad was never a pro wrestling fan, and he, uh, he, you know, I had to kind of explain that there were different 
different places that do different things and this one's a little more you know accessible so from starting to watch it around sort of 96 through to now i'm guessing by what you've already said that you have sort of lost interest at times um was there sort of periods where you stopped watching wrestling altogether for a period of time yeah i mean i would say so i don't know that i've ever completely checked out on pro wrestling it's always been kind of at least a secondary thing for me something that i at least paid attention to who's who and what's going on but there were definitely you know plenty of times that i wasn't paying close attention at all or you know watching it on a any sort of like weekly basis so and i would say that i kind of fell out of it after the when wcw was purchased by wwf um that was really like the same time that i lost interest in in that phase of my life and then i was a really busy high schooler and post high schooler so i i my history i was i was in a touring pop punk punk rock band and at that point i wasn't watching much of anything i'd kind of fallen out of most of my hobbies except for kind of a laser focus on on all of that so i think once that kind of tapered out i started to dip my toe back into wwf really with like the documentaries and a lot of those were on netflix and i was a kind of an early adopter with netflix and even the, the dvd era of netflix so I was I would just be scouring for you know things to to rent from them and I would snag you know something someone that looked familiar and I a lot of the stories even the real life stories are really fascinating so I would start to watch those and um, really like I got really back into it um, in the you know maybe like 2014 2015 really the the Daniel Bryan right. uh, yeah that type of stuff like that was a real boom period for me to really start checking back in and, and since then i've at least been uh, paying attention a, a little bit more than on the periphery so what do you watch on a week-to-week basis now i mean obviously obviously new japan i'm guessing sure. you, you keep up with and I, I, do you watch AEW every week yeah um i I don't make it like appointment viewing necessarily, um, but I do watch AEW every week. Definitely watch the pay-per-views. Um, I'll watch New Japan. I watch Dragon Gate um, mostly when they either have a tournament or a big a big show. I don't watch everything that they do. Um, then you know, it's hard to it, it's kind of hard to define right now because I was into a lot of different promotions and then COVID hit and a lot of them really pulled back um so like i'm in chicago so i go see aaw um pretty frequently when they're when they're running and warrior wrestling runs really good shows that are really accessible to me um so i'm a big fan of the live experience you know besides that you know i i watch the wwe pay-per-views um did you watch the Sorry, did you watch the, the last one um, from this past Sunday? So I had it on, uh, but I can't say I was watching. I was like between the TV and the grill and just chatting with my wife and, and stuff like that. So I I saw the zombies. Um, <laughs> I saw some of the, you know, I watched, I, you know, I could say that I was at least attentive to like the, the top matches. And you know what? Like most of the time the pay-per-views are good. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, yeah. Like, they're good because, honestly, for me, they're good because that's when they wrestle. 
Um, more more often than not, the pay-per-views are mostly centered about res- around wrestling, uh, as opposed to wacky stories or you know backstage antics and all that. So, and the, the wrestlers in WWE are really good wrestlers. So you know when you get a chance to watch them actually perform and do their thing and have a match that's not you know completely contrived and probably going to end in a DQ, it's usually pretty good. And that that seems to be what the pay-per-views are all about. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, long. That's kind of a long way to say that uh, I try to at least have a pulse point on pretty much everything. But you know, the primary stuff I watch is New Japan, Dragon Gate, AEW. We now come on to the section of the show called Rapid Fire Questions, which, as I say every week, is not actually rapid fire whatsoever. I, I thought when I first devised the show, the idea for this show, these questions would be really quick, but. They're not. They're, they're, they're the same pace as the first set of questions. But uh, favorite wrestler of all time? Uh, who would you uh, Who would you go for for that? So this is the question that I've had to like think about since you sent. You know, I, I took a sneak peek at the questions when you you sent them over, and I was like, oh my god, that's so hard. Um, yeah. So I'm gonna give two. I'm gonna hedge myself. I'm gonna say one from America and one from Japan. So, from America, Shawn Michaels. Um, a lot of that because what what happened was that I missed Shawn Michaels' real big second run, right? Like, during that time frame that I pretty much vacated my fandom, I missed, you know, the big run with The Undertaker, the Ric Flair match, like, all those big moments. The Jericho the Jer- feud. Yeah. The Jericho feud, yeah. I was just going to say, right. So, I missed all of that. And when I kind of... I got the WWE Network pretty early in, in its existence, and I was like, what what should I watch? You know, and I'm looking at this stuff, and I was like, okay, I mean, like, I've seen a bunch of this, and then there's this big gap of stuff I haven't seen, and then there's what's happening now. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to watch Shawn Michaels. Like, I love that dude. Um, so what I did is I really went through his whole career, uh, well, I, you know, the second phase of his career via the WWE Network just because it was accessible to me. And, like, he's a huge reason that I got back into wrestling. So um, so I have to give him credit, I guess, as my, my favorite wrestler of all time because I had no idea that he was doing what he was doing in that kind of, I guess, early 2000s or, you know, 2005 to 2010, 15 or so range like I had no idea it was happening and then I got to watch all these matches with fresh eyes maybe a decade later or six or eight years later and um, it really connected me back to what it, it, you know that was the bridge for me between what had happened when I was familiar with the product and what was happening you know right now so I, I have to give him credit and honestly like he's, he's just a phenomenal wrestler um I loved everything he was doing uh, with, you know, DX was kind of part of my, my first wave of fandom. So, and he was obviously a, a huge part in that. So he, and, and I think he's part of the reason why I really like, you know, 
in-ring wrestling storytelling because he's so good at that. He has so many of these matches that you can parachute in to a lot of these Shawn Michaels matches knowing nothing about what was happening before or what the story was, and they tell a story in the ring, and I think that that's so awesome. Well, you kind of um, missed you kind of missed both his runs, really, because when he started watching, sure. it was like 90, what, 96, and mm-hmm. he retired in 98. So when you became a fan, did you sort of go back and look at his, like, through the Rocker days and all that, or...? I don't know that I ever got that far back until I had the the network. I I know that you know I, I rented every WWF, WCW, ECW, even some stuff from Japan, like every videotape I could from this place called Lion Video, which I kind of mentioned earlier. So I I'm sure I saw some of it, but I don't I wasn't that connected to him before his kind of debaucherous DX days. So who's the guy from Japan you're gonna you're gonna go with? Uh, so Kota, I mean Kotobushi is like he's such an interesting wrestler to pay attention to, and he's a huge he's he's one of the primary reasons that I became a fan of New Japan, um, because when I was starting to dip my toe back into being a wrestling fan in 2014 2015, WWE wasn't necessarily like hitting the spot for me but I knew that I was there that you know I knew that other wrestling was out there and then Jeff Jarrett and Jim Ross and Global Force Wrestling broadcast uh, Wrestle Kingdom 9 in English and um, you know right around the time that I'm kind of seeking a way to be a fan of this you know this whole community this whole thing um, and I was like yeah I could check that out and I you know, I found an illegal stream or an illegal download because at the time, I, I, you know, I wasn't spending money on this stuff. And I watched that. I watched that whole that whole show, and the whole show is amazing. Wrestling Kingdom Nine is a great a great show. But the you know the match that stuck out to me was Kota Ibushi versus Shinsuke Nakamura um, in the semi main event, and that got me into seeking out more stuff from those guys, right? Shinsuke and, and Kota Ibushi. And, and Kota Ibushi had such a weird, wild run. And I, I, you know, like, I love the sports presentation, New Japan and, and you know, some of the other Puro companies where it's, like, really straight up, you know, it's, you know, mostly protected like a sport, pro wrestling. But Ibushi's had such wild stuff that he did with DDT in the past and all that that I think that's such a fascinating path to where he's landed today um, with his phenomenal G1 runs that, you know, and the g one's such a huge part of my life now. Um, and, and, and just really being able to, you know, diversify how he wrestles. And I think that, that that's a really fascinating thing to watch and that... You know, even like if you think about the G1 match with Tai Chi this past year, where they just did kicks, like who does that on that stage? Besides, I mean, like I I have to look at Kota Ibushi's career and think that that was probably his idea, right? And you know, Tai Chi's the, the right guy for that type of match, but Ibushi's this guy that um, he challenges what pro wrestling is and what it can be, and I think that that is um, I think that's an honorable quest favorite match of all time so i i mean i kind of already alluded to it it's that ibushi and and nakamura match from wrestle kingdom 9 it's just it's such a good match it's quick it's you know it's not super long and drawn out it's not even the main event um and i think that's what 
kind of attached me to it at the time. I was like, this isn't even the main event. Like, this is the second, in theory, the second best match on the show. Um, you know, because if you're, if you're building the card, you're probably going to put the best thing at the end. But, man, those guys came out and killed it. And I didn't know anything about either of those guys watching that match for the first time. And I was just stuck. I was stuck on that match. And, like, that was when I was like, this is, there's more here that i got to get into. And, you know, it's it, kind of a shame I got into Shinsuke at the time. Uh, because then he kind of came off to the U.S., and I was really excited about that, and he had a pretty good run, and then, um, Yeah, I was, know, just, kinda... I was just, just going to ask you, when, when Nakamura came to WWE, were, were you sort of left banging your head against the wall kind of thing? Because I know he had, he had a great run at NXT, but... Sure. Coming up to the main roster, and he's losing, See, I... losing to Jinder Mahal in, like, his first big <laughs> title match. Yes. So I've had a lot of false hope situations with WWE main roster. And I think like probably like a lot of people pretty recently, I've finally completely given up on, you know, if, if one of my favorite guys that I'm familiar with comes up to the main roster. Um, so when Shinsuke came up, I think that was one of those. And even when AJ Styles showed up, you know, and, and that was a pretty good run, I guess they, they, they did pretty well with him, but when Shinsuke came up, I was like, okay, maybe this is, you know, this is the trigger. And then when Shinsuke won the Royal Rumble and was going to face AJ Styles, I was like, oh, man, okay, we're going to get a great, you know, pro wrestling match. But it ended with a dick punch. But, like, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't so pessimistic at that time. Now when I see any of those guys on TV, I, I am pessimistic, which is really a shame. And I, I'm fearful some of my favorite guys are going to land there at some point before things change right and i don't know i don't know what the trigger point for that change is i mean do you follow nxt much now yeah i do i watch the takeovers for sure um for a long time i was watching watching weekly kind of either alongside aew or um you know the next day but you know again that's another that's another show that really has struggled to keep pace once they went two hours weekly on television right um and again like the wrestlers there they've got they've got a great talent roster i really liked nxt when it was one hour on the network honestly i would forget about it for a couple of weeks and i would go in and watch two or three episodes and it but it was very straightforward easy you know easy to follow and kind of a, a rotating cast at the top and i think that's what was so appealing about nxt is that you didn't have this tier of top guys forever right you had you had guys rotating out and then L, I guess elevating to the main roster because there was a clear delineation there at the time and i think that losing that and you know i guess you know really four years or three or four years of adam cole and undisputed era main events like it's a little it's gotten a little draining um i mean you still and you still have a little bit of that, I guess, with like Keith Lee coming up sure. and and, and uh, Damian Priest, and I'm sure Karrion Cross is 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 bound to be called up to the main show at some point. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's been the Adam Cole show for so long. Adam Cole and Champa and Gargano and all those guys have been there for so long now. Um, but I kind of don't want them to come up to the main show, though. Sure. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. For a long time, that was great. It was, I mean, but now it's created this kind of log jam at the top where, like, is anyone ever going to bypass them without being someone that comes back from the main roster, like, say, Finn Balor, 
right? Now, Karrion Cross is a star. He's got that all those star qualities. He's made for the main roster of WWE and, and to be successful, I think, long-term. And I don't think that's too far off from his future, to be perfectly honest, because he's he's built for it. Um, he's He's got the look, and I think he can... He can put on matches that, you know, the kind of big guy matches that the main event scene, you know, with guys like McIntyre and even Randy Orton and Roman, you know, like that whole group. I could see him having, you know, really good, solid pro wrestling matches with them. So, you know, I, I want to continue to like NXT. It's just it, it has become a little bit of a slog. The best show that you've ever attended live. What would you uh, choose for that? So I was at All In. Um, which was quite the experience. So that I, I have to I have to say it's that I'm I'm in Chicago, so I'm I'm now blessed with you know tons of great pro wrestling, especially since AEW has kind of made this the uh, the hometown for them, or, or you know their kind of secondary location, right? Especially after All In was such a big deal. So, um, but yeah, so All In tickets went on sale on Mother's Day. Um, whatever year that was, 2018. And I had just left brunch with my mom and my, I think my now wife, she was my then girlfriend. And I, I saw on Twitter, like, oh, these tickets go on sale in a minute. Like, yeah, sure, I'll log in and see if I get tickets. Like, honestly thought nothing of it. Didn't think it was going to be the immediate sellout that it was. And so I log in and I'm just like hanging around on the couch and having a conversation. I'm like in the, in the digital queue, right? And I was just like, oh, I guess people do want these tickets. I kind of figured I was just going to like log in, snag a couple seats and we'd go, uh, you know, when, uh, when the fall rolled around. So I sit there in the queue and then like it pops up and I get two tickets and I was like, all right, cool. We got tickets to this thing. And then like, I don't know, a couple hours later, I like log on to Twitter and I see all the hullabaloo about, you know, the fact that it sold out really quick and, you know, everyone's going wild and, and people are looking for resold tickets. And I was like, oh, I got tickets to this thing. That's cool. Like, that's super awesome. And I, like, live in Chicago, so it's not even hard for me to, like, get to. I'm not arranging travel or anything like that. And then I, you know, I kind of ended up, you know, that was the moment where I was like, this is going to be a really big deal. And, uh, you know, sure as hell it was. I mean, that was a huge, that's a huge night and a huge night, I think, in the history of pro wrestling. The match with Cody and Nick Aldis was just incredible. The, the environment was amazing. So many people, so many like-minded people that just wanted, you know, a new pro wrestling world um, just all in the same building. You know, I was sitting in the back corner, you know, second to last row. And, like, the, that building's not that big, so it was, it, was, it was great, you know, great view anyway. But, you know, and I got to see guys like Okada and Jericho did his big run-in, and Kenny Omega wrestled, and, um, you know, Kota Ibushi came out, and it, it was a really, really cool um, event to be at, especially, you know, now looking back on it, and, and its kind of significance in the kind of the, I guess, the history of pro wrestling as it stands now. Did you get to attend any big WWE shows in Chicago at all? I went to Survivor Series last year. Um... I was at Raw where Chris Jericho debuted. Oh, um, nice. at, yeah. That was yeah. So that was that was kind of the, my first wave of fandom. So that was super cool. I was one of those you know little kids that like knew that was gonna happen. So I like had to had to be there, and I you know begged my dad for you know extra you know lawn mowing money to so, to buy the tickets and stuff. So that that was a cool show to be at. Um, 
Yeah, Survivor Series was the first pay-per-view uh, that I went to. I'm and trying to was... remember what, that, what was on that show. Uh, so that would have been, been 2019, wouldn't it? 2019, and that, so that was the big moment where everyone thought Keith Lee was going to be a big star. Ah, right, okay, yeah. Because he, he, he had the face-off with Roman, and um, yeah, that, that didn't pan <laughs> out. Um, but it was a cool moment, it was a cool moment to be at. Um, other than that, my my wife and I started our honeymoon with the Royal Rumble in um, uh, Arizona when we when we got married. We went to, we went out to Phoenix. That was I guess also 2019. Yeah. Um, so that was really fun. The Royal Rumble will always be my favorite WWE event, um, and you know it's one of those things where I've I've wanted to see it live, and I. You know, I have a you know a goal to be in every Major League Baseball stadium by the time I die, and that event happened in a Major League Baseball stadium, so it kind of killed two birds with one stone, and we got to go to Phoenix and, and hang out there for a couple of days before we started the rest of our honeymoon, which was driving down the coast as we we headed out to California. So, um, so that was really fun too, and I've been to a couple of takeovers, NXT takeovers too. So, being from Chicago, you you kind of missed out on the whole Summer of Punk thing. Because that, that was right when you weren't watching, you know, 20, yeah. 2011 when, when Punk had the big match in Chicago against Cena. You, yes. you, weren't, you weren't following it at all at that time. Correct. Um, I, I had one friend at the time. He was actually one of the roadies for the band. And he, um, so he, he traveled with us most of the time. And he, um, he, I think he flew home to go to that show because he was like so invested in everything that was going on and you know we were on the tail end of the tour anyway so he was like i'm gonna i'm gonna jump a flight and i'm gonna get home for this thing and i was like okay you know i was like i, I mean i kind of get it but i didn't really get it and now looking back on it i'm like man i wish he would have invited me i probably would have i probably would have gone if i didn't have commitments you may well have got into it before the whole daniel bryan yes. thing you may you may have got into it free punk you know being a chicago guy i mean were you ever a fan of punk at all or not really I mean, I missed his whole run, really. Yeah. Um, you know, looking back on it, yeah, I mean, like, that's one of my favorite matches. I love to watch matches in, or, or even events that happened in Rosemont Horizon or Allstate Arena because it's it's such a great building to watch wrestling in. Well, Brett and, and Steve Austin. It, exactly, yeah. right. So it, it's such a great building to watch wrestling in really some really cool stuff has happened there and it's not the it's not a building like madison square garden where like it's you know it's going to be big it's some of the stuff that like the, if you know the wrestlers love it they give a little extra on those matches and then they have events like you know the the scene of punk money in the bank event in 2011 and and you know even even as you go forward through like at any time wwe is is in Allstate Arena, you know, most of the time it's either a bigger TV card or it's um, a pay-per-view. And, and most of the time you can tell that those guys, like, really enjoy wrestling in that building. And it's always a hot crowd. Even, you know, some of WWE's coldest days are, um, I think, upon us right now. And it's still a hot crowd when they're in, in the Allstate Arena. So um, I love going back and watching that stuff. But that punk Cena match just to even watch it on TV and to know that I've been in that building is like I can only imagine how it actually felt to be there. Do you think Punk will ever wrestle again? Yeah, probably. I think everyone comes back. Um, you know, I think if anyone's not gonna, it's probably him. But I think he's gonna show up somewhere. I think he has stayed 
present in the pro wrestling world for a reason. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know, I, I don't know how big of an impact he'll have, but I, I think, you know, it could pop a big number and it could, it could pop a good run. I don't know that he'll ever come back at a, you know, full-time capacity. I think he, I mean, he truly burned himself out. Um, you know, as I look back and, and listen to the podcasts and the interviews and things like that, like, I guess if anyone was never going to come back, it'd be him. But I think it's a little strange that he dips his toe into the, you know, he, he's so present in the community and, and in the rumor mill that I think it'd be, it's tough for me to say he isn't going to pop up somewhere. And what about Daniel Bryan? Do you, do you think Daniel Bryan will end up going back to WWE? Do you think he'll end up signing with them or, or do you see him going elsewhere? I mean, if I had to put my own money on it, I think he's just going to resign. Um, but there's there's that chance, right? There's that chance that he's gonna he doesn't need the money, you know. He's doing fine. Um, I think if he stays, it's because he's angling for a you know backstage role where he thinks he can make a difference. Because I think he knows that WWE is not the best pro wrestling product out there, and and I think he knows that there's talent in that locker room, and it could be. Um, you know, based on just the things he said and the things he said he wants to do, you know, he's. I don't think WWE's ever gonna, you know, put together a, a contract that will allow someone to work elsewhere. And I, I would love to be surprised by that, you know, that by by being wrong. But I think they're so protective of their talent. They're so protective of the whatever the contracts look like in regards to independent contractors and being able to work elsewhere. You know, I think once you open that door for one person, the, that's the floodgates. So I would be really surprised to see Daniel Bryan show up on WWE TV again, but also go work, say, at G1 or, you know, a, a tournament season in Japan. So um, I think if I, yeah, if I had to bet, I think he's just going to resign there and, and that's going to be his career landing spot. But I would love it if he got out and did, you know, I guess what John Moxley's doing right now, which is whatever the hell he wants, and and show up and do some cool stuff in some cool places, and and um, you know, I think he's got one. I think he he at this point has a run of really good matches left in him, and I think he. I can't remember the last time he had like a truly you know phenomenal match. I know there's a, a few that are. Um, well, they had a good one with AJ. Uh, yeah. Sort of during the early days of the of the pandemic last year, like. Uh, that was April or around April time, maybe on SmackDown. Mm-hmm. That was that was a really great match. Right, and he had a really good match with it was him and Adam Cole when they when the the guys right. didn't get back yeah. from Saudi. That was cool too, right? So he's got these like singular great matches in him still, and I think he um, I would love to see him tap into that and where he in a place where he has the freedom, right? Whether that's AEW, um, you know, that wouldn't be. I don't, I don't have a ton of matches that I want to see him do in, in AEW. I know that people really like that roster, but I, um, I, I just, I don't see a ton of great matchups for Daniel Bryan there. Um, but I think if he got out and about and went to Mexico and Japan, you know, as well as AEW, I think that's a really interesting. Um, that would be a really interesting thing to pay attention to because I would love, I, I want someone out there where I'm like, ooh, where are they going to pop up next? Right, even kind of like Andrade right now, he shows up, you know, he's dipping his toe a couple different places, and I think that that's really cool, and I think that he's gonna, he could be a difference maker too. 
it's a really exciting time now especially with things starting to open up a bit and and guys being able to travel more now i i think we're going to start to see some really exciting things happening and i think would you would you say it's quite an exciting time to be a wrestling fan right now oh absolutely um you know i'm still waiting for things to look a little clearer in japan um, just because it's so much of what I pay attention to and, and my role in, in pro wrestling is related to what happens in Japan and, and, and New Japan specifically. But, you know, otherwise, yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're going to start to see full buildings in the U.S. and I think in Europe, too. I think, you know, the European scene is one that I've never paid a ton of attention to. But, you know, if guys that I'm interested in start popping up there, I'm going to I'm going to key in. So there's a lot of there's a lot of pro wrestling out there and uh, there's a lot of places for guys to go and, and wrestle. And um, just the fact that it's not kind of a one stop shop anymore is I mean, it's huge. It's huge for the industry. So the final question that I ask everyone is in many ways the hardest question to answer because you can kind of go at it so many different ways but if you could change one thing about the wrestling business Chris Samza what would it be? So I would change I would get us out of the content era um, which is really the era that I think we're in and if you look at I guess the three biggest companies that people pay attention to so WWE, AEW, New Japan they're all obsessed with just the amount of content that they can put out. Um, and I think that is a detriment to what they do. You know, the, the, everyone will say, you don't have to pay attention to all of it. You don't have to watch all of it. Totally. I absolutely don't watch every Road 2 show for New Japan, and I don't watch Dark and Dark Elevation. I don't watch, you know, half the stuff WWE does. I don't even know that it happened. But... To be in this era that is that is more about um, number of hours or hours viewed or number of hours of content available to sell to somebody else, um, as opposed to making your business, you know, about you know quality over quantity. I you know I think that I think that the quantity piece really drags down the pieces that are of high quality. Um, and we're, we're definitely seeing that, um, I think, across the board with all, all the big companies um, and, and some of the little ones, too. You know, I mean, I think if, if some of these other places would just run, uh, you know, really maybe one big show a quarter for some of the indies, they would be more successful because they'd be a big deal. Instead, they have this kind of slow drip mentality. And, um, and I, you know, I, I get the business side of it. You know, I know I'm a numbers guy um, and my, you know, my my career is, is, is in business. So I, I see the, the value of quantity over quality and, or, or, or kind of the combination, but I think it's teetered far too far to the, the quantity side of, of the equation. And I would like to see that step back a touch, but I, I don't see any end in sight for that. I'm guessing you liked it a lot more when there was only four big shows a year for, for, for WBF as it was then. I mean, I think now, Obviously, I understand why they do shows every single month, but it did seem to be more important when you had the Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Survivor Series. I mean, you can you can throw a King of the Ring in there, or you know, a big show here and there. But I think every single month, coming with something, and I think one of the biggest issues now also is doing like a Hell in a Cell 
pay-per-view and a TLC pay-per-view and, and making those matches mean less, right? Because you're now doing a whole show centered around them. Yeah, and I think that just to have to have those, like WWE announced Hell in a Cell as their next pay-per-view, right? Yeah. Like, I was like, for why? Like, why? Like, what? I couldn't think of a feud that's building towards what should be a Hell in a Cell match. And, you know, like I said, like, what got me back into wrestling to some extent, my bridge was Shawn Michaels. And, and you know, so that those Hell in a Cell matches meant something then. And, and uh, so, um, yeah, and I, I think to some extent, AEW and New Japan are, are equally um, guilty of, of the content era approach where... Um, there has to always be something. I mean, soon enough you're going to have AEW programming available to you on four nights a week. Like, why? Like, who needs that? Like, I, I get it. it. It drives fan engagement and people get super stoked on, you know, some of these younger guys that pop up and then, like, they're the, they're the one who knows everyone who's been on Dark and all that. And, like, you can have these really engaged fans. But, I don't know. I think it devalues what you do, which is like really just put out a good premium product. Um, and I think, you know, to some extent, the approach to, to watching New Japan for most people is to, to watch the, the big shows. Um, and, and New Japan is pretty clear about, you know, they call their shows Road to Dominion. So you don't have to watch the Road to Dominion if you're going to watch Dominion necessarily, but you can. It's there for you. Um, and I think that that's why you know, New Japan still has a largely successful approach, but they've gotten a little heavy on the on the extra content, too. So, um, but yeah, so if I could change one thing, I would just tone it down a touch on the, you know, on the amount of content and focus on just putting out what's truly, really good or meaningful to, to where you want to land. On a kind of related note, do you think AEW has too much talent? No, not necessarily, because um, I, I know a lot of those guys are, are, um, I know a lot of, a lot of the guys aren't necessarily under contract. Right, yeah. Right, yeah. so in regards to, like, contracted talent, they probably have the right amount, and, and you want to see guys rotate in and out, um, and I think that that's a healthy approach for a show like Dynamite, where, like, someone's not on it every week, right, and... Even even a guy like Kenny Omega or Moxley or Cody, you know, I think Cody's had a really interesting cycle since AEW launched. Is like he had this huge push where he was this really kind of the centerpiece of the show, and then he kind of disappeared. And he disappeared to go do other stuff because he's you know now in position to do that. But then when he comes back, it's a it's a big deal. But you didn't really miss him because you got other guys that can jump into that slot, um, and you've built up a guy like Darby Allen via his time with Cody and all of a sudden you've got Darby Allen who can main event three or three or four shows or whatever and he can be the TNT champion so you know I think they have access to a ton of talent um, whether they've contracted too much you know they're probably at their capacity but then they add an extra hour and they've, they've still got two hours of dark and dark elevation and you know they've got seven hours of content every week all of a sudden so i don't i guess i guess not if that's what they're going to do and the final question i want to ask you is who do you think is going to beat kenny eventually and, and and why do you think it's adam page 
<laughs> I would love for it to be Adam Page. Um, Adam Page, huge in Chicago. Um, he that dude shows up at a at a Chicago show and, and people go nuts for him. But um, who do I? It's hard to say um, because Kenny is he is truly one of, if not the best, you know, in ring pro wrestler uh, in the world. So it's hard to you know position someone against him that's going to win. Um, and, you know, what I'm most curious about is how are they going to remove, like, the impact belt from him? Right. And, yeah. you know, like, how I can't are they going to... I can't see Moose beating him. No. <laughs> I, don't, I, would, I would love for Moose to beat him, because I think Moose is great. Uh, and Moose has been really good on Impact, um, you know, every time I've watched Impact, but... I don't think he's the guy, but I don't know that the guy is in Impact, to be perfectly honest. Like, I don't know that there's someone in Impact that merits beating Kenny Omega and, and getting anything out of it, to be perfectly honest. like That's a pretty soft roster over there. So um, Adam Page down the line, I think they got, they've got some work to do that they'd have to, they'd have to build him up, um, but I think that that is probably the most captivating story, unless you're going to go back to Moxley. Well, he or, almost. Uh, I, I mean, he almost had. Go. Sorry, I mean, he almost had to lose to to Brian to, to Brian Cage when he did because he was yeah. positioned as the number one ranked guy, and it looked like they had to do the the Kenny match at Double or Nothing. But that would have been way too soon. I mean, sure. there's, there's ways you could have done it, but it, I think it would have been way too soon to do that match. So what they're doing now, though, I'm, I don't know about a freeway. I mean, how how do you feel about a freeway with with Park and uh, Orange Cassidy? Uh, it's it feels very much like a place filler, um, and I think putting Orange Cassidy in there makes it more interesting than it just being Omega and, and Pac. Um, I guess I mean not that that wouldn't be a great match, and I think Kenny versus Orange Cassidy would be a, a really fun match too. But I don't think you'd do that on a on a pay per view. No. So you know, introducing three ways to into the title picture is. You know, you can you can go on and on about kind of that being, I don't know, you know, I don't want to say sacrilegious, but if I look at like New Japan and their model, they've had one three-way match I think for the the top title in the company. So, you know, I, I guess I, you use it. It's kind of it feels a little bit like a crutch. Um, I, I think they'll be able to put on something that's entertaining, but I don't know that I don't know that it's makes me a little wary of the direction that things are going to end up going there chris we i mean we could talk all night we, we really could it's, it's great to finally uh, get a chance to do this and as, as i say to every guest obviously this show has only got a relatively short shelf life because i'm going to run out of guests at some point uh but i obviously uh, will do future podcasts i don't know quite what, that, what that's going to entail but uh, whatever it uh, entails I, I hope to have you back at some point Absolutely. Had a blast. I'm happy to talk wrestling with you anytime. The pleasure was all mine, trust me. It was, it was great to have you on. Uh, so for Chris, I'm David signing off and thank you for listening. <laughs>